Good morning, Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, for the joy it is to be with you today. I would invite you to take your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to get there in just a moment, but let me know that, let me, let me let you know that it is a joy to be standing here once again and to be able to share the word with you. Thank you, Rick, for those words. Uh, as he said, I have served as the senior pastor of Leonardtown Baptist Church up until the beginning of this year. I continue to serve as their teaching pastor as they are searching for a senior pastor right now and looking forward to that day where they do find a new senior pastor. I relate to you uh, more readily as the state director of evangelism, where I have the opportunity to work with 500 plus Southern Baptist churches throughout Maryland and Delaware, and of which Redeeming Grace Baptist is one of those. But probably the most important relationship I have to Redeeming Grace Baptist Church is that I am the father of Hannah Robertson and the father-in-law of Kyle Robertson. And so I'd make them stand up, but Hannah's red hair would probably come flaming out and she'd get me afterwards. So I won't, I won't embarrass her like that, but uh, it, it is a joy to, uh, to be those. But you know, one of, talking about titles, one of the greatest titles that, that I've ever had is one that I've only had recently, and that is one that Karen and I enjoy together, and that is Nana and, and Papa. And I'll show, show you a picture of the world's cutest grandbaby. Uh, Joel, you can go ahead and pop it up there. So uh, many of you will remember our oldest son, Alex, uh, who lives in Oregon now. He and his wife, Kara, just uh, June uh, fourth, I believe, third or the fourth, uh, had our first grandbaby. And so this is Murphy Alexander Dooley, and he is indeed a cutie. Looks just like his granddad. Amen. Uh, I am thankful for the gospel partnership that our churches share together, Leonardtown Baptist and Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, whether that is going on mission trips in Moldova together, serving in servant evangelism at the fair by wiping tables together as we do each year, events like Secret Church, many other ways that our two churches come together. I'm very thankful for uh, the gospel work that you are doing right here, and praise God, give thanks to God for you. Also, on a personal note, very thankful for uh, many of your prayers over the last week and a half or so. It's been a, a crazy week and a half for me. As a week and a half ago, I had a heart attack and uh, I had an artery that was 90% blocked and uh, they were able to put a stent in and get that repaired. And it was really crazy that that could occur on a Wednesday. I could go to the ER, have the stent put in in Hospital of Southern Maryland up in Clinton, be home by Friday evening and preach on Sunday all with the doctor's blessing. And so uh, thankful to God for the, the gifts of divine mercy and modern medicine. And so just thankful for, for both of those. Excited to be here today as we consider our call to serve one another. As you can see from 1 Peter, this is what we're talking about. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'd like to read verses 7 through 11 as we begin today. And that we might honor the reading of God's word. I would invite you to stand as I read that passage for us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. This is the word of God. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks... Let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. 
Thank you. Please be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, one of the greatest evangelists of all time was D.L. Moody. He preached in the late 19th century, and he was used greatly by God. There's been volumes written about why he was used so greatly by God, and many people conjecture all kinds of reasons. But I think that one little-known story about him probably reveals the heart of why God was able to use a man like D.L. Moody. According to the story, it was the late 1800s, and Moody was leading one of his famed Northfield Bible conferences in Massachusetts. There were a group of European pastors who had crossed the Atlantic Ocean to, to be able to attend. Europeans at that time had a custom of placing their shoes in the hallway at night. And hall servants would come and they would shine their shoes for the next day. But this was America. And hotels here had no hall servants. Well, Moody had been to Europe, so he knew exactly what his European brothers were doing. But he didn't want them to be embarrassed. So what did he do? He went out himself after everyone had gone to bed. He took the shoes. He went into the privacy of his room, and he began to shine them himself. Only the unexpected arrival of a friend revealed the secret. The next day, all the shoes were in place, shined, and ready to go, all because Moody was willing to be a servant. You know, to serve others is truly a privilege. Today, we are talking about serving one another. That word, one another, is translated from a single Greek word. There are a hundred occurrences of it in 93 verses of Scripture in the New Testament. The New Testament speaks to us about a plethora of these one another's. We are to love one another, to honor one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, to be devoted to one another, to instruct one another, to submit to one another, and the list goes on and on and on. Today, as I said, we're going to be talking about serving one another. The word occurs in verse 9 of the passage where we're told to be hospitable to one another. But I want to go beyond that. Offering hospitality is really just part of this overall theme of of service that we see here. Verse 10 says we should use whatever gift we have to serve others. So let's examine what Peter has to say today about this issue of serving others. There are three things I want us to see today. Notice first, the reason for serving others. Verse 7 tells us very succinctly. It simply says, the end of all things is near. You know, there are many who downplay the second coming, saying that that both Peter and Paul thought that that it was going to occur in their day. And and you know what? They're, They're right but only partially so. Just because they expected the second coming to occur and it didn't doesn't mean they were wrong. Because the consistent teaching of the Bible is that the Lord's return is near. It's a theological truth that theologians call imminence. It simply means the second coming can occur at any time. We need to understand something today. And that is that God's timetable is not our timetable. And so when we say the Lord's return is near, near could mean today. Near could mean a hundred years from now. Near could mean a thousand years from now. Because what does the scripture say? It says that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as a day. The early apostles certainly understood something that that we need to know. and, And that is that there is nothing 
that pro- can, is prohibiting the return of Christ. All the scripture has been fulfilled for Christ to come and suffer, just as the Old Testament prophets spoke about that. And 2,000 years ago, that is exactly what he did. He came and he died on the cross in our place. He took upon himself our sin and our shame. He bore the penalty. He bore the wrath of God. He paid the debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And he took our sin and our shame upon himself and he paid for it. All that remains is for him to come and to rule and to reign. That could occur at any moment. It hasn't occurred yet, but it will occur because the scripture says it will. And so it might occur today. It might occur tomorrow, next week, next year, next century. We don't know when it will occur, but one thing we do know, it will occur. The Lord's Return is near. The end of all things is near, as Peter says here. We should serve others because of that. You know, Jesus tells a, a difficult parable, an interesting, albeit difficult parable in Matthew chapter 24. Let me, let me read to you from that. It's Matthew 24, 45 through 51. This is what he says. He says, Who then is a faithful and sensible slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? That slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. I assure you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked slave says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards, that slave's master will come on a day he does not expect and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, just before he, he told that parable, Jesus had made this statement, Matthew 24, 36. He said, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son. We don't know when his return will be. But what we do know is that it could be at any moment. Therefore, we should be like the faithful servant in the parable. We should be found doing his will when he does come. Because if you think, oh, well, people have been talking about this Jesus coming back for years. You know, I've, I've lived 40 years and I haven't even seen it. I've lived 80 years and I haven't even seen it. Well, don't worry. You know, just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. You know, it will come. We need to be like the faithful servant, doing the will of God. And what is his will? His will is that we serve others. Do you serve others? Serving others may require that we get our hands dirty in ministry, but the end of all things is near. If ever there was a time that we need it to get our hands dirty in serving one another, it's now. But we should also note not only the reason for serving others, but the rigors of serving others as well. This is the bulk of our passage. Specifically, what's involved with serving others? Well, there are a multitude of things. Peter mentions just a few of them. This is certainly not an exhaustive list, but this involves some very important areas. So notice first that serving others involves concern. We need to be concerned for them in prayer. Look at what Peter says. He phrases it this way. He says that we need to be alert and sober-minded for prayer. The New King James translates that to be serious and watchful. What does it mean to watch in prayer? Let me take you to another passage where Jesus is speaking. Mark chapter 13, 
verses 32 through 37. This is what Jesus said. He said, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son except the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his slaves, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, he might come suddenly and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Now, this is very similar to the parable that we just read from Matthew's gospel. But here in Mark chapter 13, there's no beating of the slave. There's, there's no carousing. There's nothing like that. But there's certainly an inattentiveness in both of those passages that Jesus is warning about. And, and did you hear the dominant word in the passage we just looked at? It's watch or be alert. Watch, be alert. To watch in prayer, to be a, alert in prayer simply means to be aware. The New International Version uses the phrase clear-minded in its translation of this passage. You know, too many believers pray, but their prayers are mere irrelevant words. They're a, a laundry list of requests, a, a non-specific litany of, of bless this person or bless that person, a, a, a meaningless repetition of memorized prayers. Too, too many people's prayers are, are like the song I remember from many, many years ago. This was way back in the 80s. I don't even remember who sang this song, uh, but it was, it was called Never Ending Shopping List. And, and the prayer of the person in the song said, give me this, I want that. Bless me, Lord, I pray. Grant me what I think I need to make it through the day. Make me wealthy. Keep me healthy. Fill in what I miss on my never-ending shopping list. Friends, that, that kind of praying is not watching. That is not being alert. That, this is not what Peter is, is talking about here. Would you just think for a moment about your own praying today? How would your prayers be described are they generic prayers of blessing? Perhaps you call people's names and just say, oh, God, bless this person, bless that person, bless them, Lord, bless them. And that seems to be the, the best we can get out. Bless them, Lord, just, just bless them. But do you know the specific need in their life that they need blessed for? Do you know that they're having trouble paying their bills? Do you know that they're going through a health struggle? Do you know that they have a lost family member that they're really concerned about? And so you pray for that family member and ask God to open up the eyes of the understanding of their heart. Do you know them personally enough to pray about the specific needs that that person is facing? Watching in prayer means to be aware of the specific needs in people's lives and in the world. That means that we need to be involved in one another's lives so that we can know what's going on in each other's lives and effectively pray about it. Watching in prayer means to ask God to work in specific ways of the lives, in the lives of those that we're praying for, not just bless them, Lord, bless them, Lord, bless them, Lord. It's being concerned enough to care and to commit those needs to God in prayer. One of the most effective ways that you can serve others is to consistently lift their specific needs before God. We need concern. But serving others not only involves concern, it involves commitment as well. Look at verse 8. The church is described in, in the Bible as, as the family of God. And what's true of families? Typically, they're, they're committed to one another. Let me tell you about my family. My father passed away in 1990. 
Every one of his living brothers and sisters was at that funeral. We were living in Florida at the time, or I was living in North Carolina at the time. Had to stop and remember, where do I live then? Uh, we were living in North Carolina at the time, but my, my, my father and my mother were living in Florida. And he had no family in Florida, but they all made their way to Florida to be a part of that funeral. Some of them he had not seen since his own mother's funeral, my grandmother's funeral, which was 1977, 13 years. He may not have even talked to some of them since his own mother's funeral. But that was not because they didn't care about one another. You know, my mother often said that it appeared on the outside that my father's family didn't care about one another, but he said they stuck by one another thick as thieves. And so every one of them made it a point to be there and to check on my mother and to show care and concern for her because that's what families do. Families are committed to one another. Redeeming grace, the family of God should stick by one another as well. It is so encouraging whenever you guys face tragedy to, to see and to hear and to talk to people and to know, oh, well, we're doing this for this family or we're helping. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. We should stick by one another in commitment. Verse 8 says we should maintain constant love. The NIV phrases this, love each other deeply. Why do we love this way? Well, as Verse 8 also says, love covers a multitude of sins. Now, what does that mean? Well, Warren Wiersbe says this word covered means stretched out. And he goes on to say this. He says, quote, Christian love never reaches a breaking point. It is bad enough when the world accuses the saints. The saints ought not to accuse one another. Love will help cover the sins of the saints. Love does not cleanse sin, but it does cover sin and that we do not go around talking about other people's sins, end quote. Isn't it so easy, so often to talk about what this person does or about what that person doesn't do? You know, the Bible has a word for that. You know what the Bible's word for that is? Tailbearer. Tailbearer. The world has a word for that too, don't they? They like that word gossip. You know, if hypocrisy is the prominent charge that the world lays at the doorstep of the church, then gossip is the charge that alienated church members tend to offer. You don't want to know how many disaffected church folk I've talked to. I've been in ministry 35 years now, and over that period of time, I've talked to more than I care to remember disaffected church folk that, uh, that have left church and have walked away from church, and when you talk to them and when you ask them why, it almost always, always boils down to, well, the gossip. You know, just this group talks this way. That, you know, there's just all this gossip and all this backbiting, and that's all that they can see. And you know what the reality is? Is that hypocrisy and gossip often do dominate our fellowships. This is why we need the gospel. Because we're broken. Because we're in need of grace. And those who, who level charges of hypocrisy forget that they have their own measure of hypocrisy that they deal with as well. Likewise, the church member frustrated by gossip forgets that, that they've been equally guilty in other contexts. And the very fact that they're grumbling about the gossip is itself its own form of gossip. Indeed, we are people desperately in need of grace. Not just being recipients of grace, but extenders of grace as well. You know, we, we love to say, oh, we've received the grace of God. 
And I hope every one of you have received the grace of God. We need to receive the grace of God. But we need to extend that grace to other people as well. And this is, this is what Peter is talking about here. It's that kind of grace that enables us to love in the way that Peter's describing here, a love that covers a multitude of sins, uh, a love that can look at a brother or sister in Christ and say, yeah, that hurt me, but I love you anyway, and I'm not going to let this impact the way I relate to you. You are my brother and sister in Christ. I extend forgiveness to you just the way that I've been forgiven. Love keeps both our tongues and our attitudes in check. Listen, folks, the reality is none of us is perfect. Love covers sins doesn't mean love excuses sin. That's important to understand. To say that love covers a multitude of sins doesn't mean that, you know, you look at someone that you love and who's in sin and say, oh, it's okay. You know, I, you know, yeah, we do love them, but it doesn't excuse sin. Sometimes confrontation is inevitable and necessary. And that can be done in a loving way. But what this is talking about is it's saying that love doesn't assassinate a family member over a petty issue. We aren't serving others when we're unloving, when we're critical, when we're merciless. I think about Saul of Tarsus as an example here. He, he thought he was serving God as he was going around killing Christians and putting them in prison. Then he met Christ. Then he came to understand grace and he came to understand love. He would later write those words that you know, we often hear quoted at weddings, but can be used in so many contexts. Now abides faith, hope, and love. These three. You remember which one he said was the greatest? Love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Serving others involves commitment. But serving others also involves courtesy. We see this in verse 9. Peter talks here about being hospitable. The word that he uses literally means to be a lover of foreigners or a lover of guests. How do you react when a guest comes into your church? You know, sometimes people can go into a church and never feel welcome. I remember years ago receiving an, an email via our website at Leonardtown Baptist Church. Uh, this, is, this is the only time that this has ever happened to, to my knowledge. An individual had visited our church, and this is what they said. They said, nobody spoke to me, nobody shook my hand, no usher handed me a bulletin, nobody showed me where to go, nobody around me even acknowledged I was there. Overall, they were just pretty critical of what they had experienced at church that morning. Now, let me hasten to add that that kind of a comment is an anomaly. Typically, when I get emails or letters about people's experience, it's about how friendly they found the church to be. I'm sure that there have been other negative experiences as well, unfortunately, but I imagine those who had negative experiences just politely moved on without feeling the need to air their complaints. They're more like the, the family that I did a new member interview for about four or five years ago. They're a very active part of LBC now, and they told me how they first came to LBC in 2009. This, they weren't the ones who, who sent the email I was just talking about, but they said they first came to LBC in 2009 and had such a bad experience that they left before the service was even over. They didn't send an email. They didn't complain any. They just moved on to another church for about four or five years. And they said they, they kept hearing about how friendly of a church LBC was. And the man said he thought, no thanks, been there, done that, not doing that again. But they weren't happy where they were. And they felt like the Lord was leading them on. And they said they, they, they kept hearing about Leonardtown Baptist, and so they said, okay, let's go back and let's give it one more try. They came back, and he said the, the experience was the polar opposite. He said we were so well-received 
and they've plugged right in. They've become a central part of our congregation right now. Now, I have no idea what happened the first time they came or in the case of the person who, who sent me the email that I was mentioning. Maybe they were just having a bad day. Or maybe they genuinely had that bad of an experience. Either way, what it shows us is our need to be sensitive to the fact that there, there are guests. There are visitors around us. And, and we should be courteous. We should ex- that's one way we can serve them, by extending courtesy. This is what it means to serve others. In that regard, there's, there's a helpful little book. I brought it with me today. It's uh, written by Tom Rayner, who used to serve as the president of, of Lifeway Christian Resources. It's called Becoming a Welcoming Church. And um, I say it's a little book because it is a short read. You can read through it in about an hour, hour and a half or so. In it, he helps you to see your church through the eyes of a visitor. I would encourage you to read it if you've not done so. It'll just take you a short time, and we need to learn to see our churches the way that guests see them. Because we come to our churches, and we're used to the routine, and we know the people we know, and so we have a good time fellowshipping, and we talk to people, and sometimes we can be completely oblivious to somebody who's walked in, and it's their first time to be here, and they know nobody. And and they need to understand that there are people who do love them and care about them. Courtesy. Courtesy, it's a, it's a great way to serve other people. We need to introduce ourselves to guests, make them feel welcome, show them where to go. Even, even better, maybe invite them out for a meal after the service is over or exchange phone numbers with them so that you can call them later and, and actually get to know them better and encourage them. You may not think that's much, but efforts to serve others in those small kinds of ways are not only serving them, they're serving God as well. And we are called to serve one another. One final thing Peter mentions is that serving others involves competence. Here, Peter really addresses the issue of spiritual gifts. Notice he, he basically categorizes them into two main areas in verse 11, speaking gifts and serving gifts. The speaking gifts include gifts like teaching, prophecy, exhortation. He doesn't mention them specifically here, but that would involve gifts like that. Serving gifts include those like showing mercy, administration, giving, service. When we exercise our gifts, who benefits? It's others. Our gifts aren't given to us. God didn't give you a spiritual gift. And if you're here today and you know Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. He didn't give it to you for yourself. He gave it to you for others. He gave it to you for the benefit of the body of Christ. When we use the speaking gifts, we serve others by teaching them the word of God, by encouraging them in the ways of God. When we use the service gifts, we serve others by tangibly ministering to them the grace of God. How are you using your spiritual gifts today? Have you ever even taken time to determine what your spiritual gifts are? You know, there are plenty of spiritual gifts inventories that are available to help you determine just how God has gifted you. Just just go online, do a Google search for spiritual gifts inventories, and you're going to find way more than you can use. You can find plenty of opportunities to take a little inventory, a little survey, and determine what your spiritual gifts are. It's critical that we know what gifts we possess and then use those gifts to serve others. Serving others involves competence. But notice, finally today, the results of serving others. We see this at the very end of our passage. Peter says, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. 
Everything includes our service. We serve others so that God can be glorified. You see, any service that results in the glory going anywhere except to God is not biblical. It is not fitting. It is not proper. Why do you sing? Is it so that people can applaud you, say, oh, what a great voice you have? Or is it so that people are ushered into the presence of God and and, and can worship God through the singing of his praises that day? Why do you teach? Is it to astound people with your knowledge so they come up and smack you on the back and say, man, you're the best teacher I've ever sat under? You know, or is it so that people can learn God's word? Why do you usher or greet? Is it to be noticed and recognized, or is it to further the ministry of your church? Why, why am I up here preaching? Why am I doing this? Why did I come here today? Why do I do it at Leonardtown half the time? Why do I go to other churches, and why do I preach? Is it to build my own ego so that people can know who Mark Dooley is? Or is it so that the church can be built on the word of God? What is our motivation for why we do what we do? Friends, if it's for any reason other than the glory of God, then that's an insufficient motive. I think it's time we all ask ourselves, what's our motivation? Why do we serve as we do? If we aren't seeking to glorify God through our service, then our results will be insufficient and ineffective. Oh, we may get a few earthly results here and there. We may be noticed by men. We get, may get a few attaboys. But what ultimately matters is that God sees a sincere motivation in our hearts. And that we're laying up treasure in heaven. Let's be sure that we're serving God by serving one another from a sincere heart. I read about a small boy and his sister who were riding on a wooden rocking horse that had been given to them as a gift. And it was kind of crowded. They were both a little too big for it. But they were riding on there scrunched up trying to ride that horse. and, And the boy turned to his sister and said, you know, if one of us would get off this horse, there'd be more room for me. Yeah, too often we're like that little boy, aren't we? We're looking out for number one instead of looking to serve others. If that little boy had been serving others, he would have said, let me get off so that you can enjoy the ride, so that you can spend time on this horse. For truly serving others, then we'll do what's best for them and not regard the personal cost to ourselves. Listen to what Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He said, Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Let me read that again. Don't use your freedom. You have freedom in Christ to do what you want. Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't look in the mirror and say, how am I going to bless that person today? Don't use your opportunity as an, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh serve one another through love. Paul says the exact same things that Peter said in our passage today. Of course, Jesus is our primary example there, isn't he? How he served us. That great passage in Philippians 2 says, he did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. 
Listen, my friend, let me tell you something important today. This is the best news you'll hear not only today, but this is the best news that you will ever hear in your life. If you are here and you don't know this news, you've never experienced this news, that news is that if you're separated from God because of your sin, and we all are, the Bible says we all are, we can trust a Savior who died for us. His name is Jesus. He paid the penalty that we should have paid. He died in our place and he rose again from the dead. And by faith and trust in him, we can be forgiven and we can be made a child of God. Have that gift of everlasting life. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, I I want to not just encourage, I want to implore you, call out to him today. Ask him to give you that gift of everlasting life. Believe that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, the one who died in your place and rose again from the dead. Jesus served us by dying for us. So must we serve one one another dying to self, considering others more important than ourselves. Will you be one who serves God by serving others? Let's pray together. Father, how thankful we are today for this opportunity that you've given us to to be in your house and, and to worship you and to hear this message from your word about serving others. We are thankful, God, that the Lord Jesus served us as undeserving as we are. He served us by dying in our place, by loving us, by forgiving us. Father, may we gaze upon that example May we live by that example, and may we serve one another to your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.